0: The Links and Locks podcast. 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 Better than most. Better than most. Better than
1: most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner. Buddy. Four.
0: You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. All right. Welcome into Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast, presented by Bet Three Six Five. I'm Roberto Arguello, joined. Alongside Spencer Aguiar this week, unfortunately, our third host, Nick Brettwish, is not available this week. But we still got some picks from him. You know he's betting it, even though he can't be here today. So we'll cover his picks along with ours. And hopefully we can make you some money, like we did last week, at the Chicken Championship, where Mackenzie Hughes took down Sep Straka in a playoff. Uh, Spencer, it was a fun tournament last week. Exciting finish with the playoff. Um, I think the Chicken Championship was all that we could ask for with the exception of some of our outrights hitting.
1: Yeah, it was unfortunate on the outright. And uh, if anybody recalls, I had Mark Hubbard at 110 to one. That had a chance. I My model actually thought he was going to win the tournament going into uh, Sunday, which isn't breaking news. He was leading the tournament at that point. But uh, I ran a model on Thursday night. Uh, one of the best values that I had on the board was Mackenzie Hughes. I think he was 150 to one. I unfortunately didn't get to that ticket, so... I, you know, that's one of those things where sometimes you do all the right process and it just doesn't work out correctly, but yeah, it was a profitable week for all three of us. Like maybe the problem is, is Nick won too much money and we can't get him to come on the show this week because he's like (laughs) celebrating the victory that he had, but, uh, the head to heads remained really strong for me. That's a market that I continue to talk about over and over again on this show. It's like I'm 65% this season through like 200 and something head to head plays. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most of those are minus 110 or underdogs in it. So that's always going to be the market I attack. It was five and one last week on those suggestions. And uh, the one player that I lost is another player. I'm going to go back to fading again this week. So we're going to try it again this week to see if anything's different with it. But I think all in all, it was a really good show for all of us. And hopefully everybody out there won some money.
0: Yeah, it was a great week. Last week, you said you went five and one on those matchup bets. Well, we didn't hit any of those outrights, some of the place bets um, for me came through. Callum Taron, top 20 hit. Uh, Hayden Buckley, top 20. He shot a seven under par round on the last day of the tournament to finish T19. Uh, make sure that when you're making these place bets, you try to do it at a place where they give you ties paid out in full. Mm-hmm. That can be very important, especially in a tournament like that one. Uh, Carl Yuan did not. Hit for me. He was my lone miss on the top 20 bets. Uh, Thankfully it wasn't a bad beat. He didn't even get close to making the cut. I'm going to be looking at Carl Yuan in the future. I was tempted at 150 to one this week, but until I see a little bit more consistency on approach, I think it's a wait and see for now. Looking forward to this week, we are going to your hometown of Las Vegas, TPC Summerlin break down the course for me, Spencer.
1: Yeah, it's my backyard. It's 15 minutes away from where I live. And in reality, I mean, it was pretty much across the street when I was growing up. It was a a course that was essentially actually in my backyard. So, uh, you know, TPC Summerlin, 7,251 yards. It's a par 71 bent grass greens. We all know that TPC venues are aesthetically appealing from a visual perspective. They show nicely on television for viewers, but there's no other way to say it. They lack difficulty on the back end of the equation. Honestly, we can convey that about every TPC track on tour. You're going to have greenery. You have the outside scenery. You can see the strip. Uh, You're going to have your classic short par four holes, which present some trouble, but primarily provide some semblance of danger to go along with the underlying nature of scorable opportunities. It's why modeling these venues often yields the same structural template. If you've seen one TPC course in your life, you've likely seen all of them of what's going to be asked. Now, there are minor alterations that I'll bring up here in a second, but I do want to note that there was a reconstruction done at the end of last year. I haven't heard very many people bring that up in the space. They added more resilient grass, which to simplify that process means it would grow back quicker and cleaner. Once again, it's all about the visual aspects for the viewer the standard bent grass greens were changed to a grass called dominator, which I don't know a ton about, but when I looked into it, it's going to be a blend of two high quality bent grasses. You know, Roberto, I'll save an answer for you there. Maybe you have a better explanation of that than I do, but my basic answer of why they did that is it's going to be a surface that will roll cleanly for the field. I'm not sure that's what we exactly need for a course that has averaged 23 under totals for the last four seasons, but they want this to be their idea of television golf. So In my model, I looked at weighted T to green. That's going to be a recalculation of all the strokes gain categories other than putting to try to mimic TPC Summerlin. Uh, For a venue with extreme totals in the winning score, the dispersion of scoring is relatively flat to baseline expectations. That's something that I found unique. And around the green is one of the categories that took a big boost. And that was surprising to me just because we do see 72% GIR rate for the field here. That's 7% above expectation. I'll get into why I think that is in a second. I did strokes game total at TPC tracks and how someone has scored at accessible venues. So that's gonna be your straightforward birdie test. Um, you know, I'm trying to profile this venue with what we've seen at other designs, just because I think that's a really clean way to get some sort of an interpretation of what's going to be asked from this course. There's some bent grass scoring and putting that I added to the mix. I did look at scrambling and sand safe percentage for a small amount, but the two big categories outside of tee to green play that I found most important were probably weighted par three and par four. So that was added together. And then short par four plus par five, that was also added together. That's very similar to what I did last week when looking at the standards and farms, a lot of these holes that you're going to need to score on are going to come on the short par fours and the par fives. That's going to be very important. So To streamline that answer there a little bit further into what I was talking about with the around the green being so important here. The more challenging holes require a short game to get up and down if you find yourself in trouble. And then the easier chances do the opposite where you're trying to find players that can get it as close as they can to the green with their first or second shot. And then they're going to be able to provide a steadier short game to make birdies. So uh, that's how I handicapped the venue. I mean, obviously that's a lot of information that went into it. Uh, All of that I put into my model. It spits out all my values for the week. When I do that, that's why I take such an importance of doing it that way. But uh, what did you think about the venue when you looked at it, Roberto?
0: I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's dangerously going to be a putting contest this week with not a lot of tough holes out there. So birdie or better percentage, another big factor for me this week. Um, I had that and driving distance as a couple of really important metrics for me last week. And it worked out for me. And so those two combined with form and some course history are really what I'm banking on this week.
1: Yeah, there's a big increase, um, at least when you look at like a generic course on tour. And that's one of the things that I do. So I know I talk about this a lot from a statistical perspective, and that is 50% of my weight, but 30% goes into current form. So that's my recalculation over the past 10 weeks of contest. is going to come from course history at TPC Summerlin. This is one of those courses where we do see rollover predictability. I think that's important to note. There's just some courses that players' eyes seem to suit better on, and it rolls over season after season. We get that here, and then I guess the only thing I would say that's a little bit, I don't want to say contradicting, but a little bit different than what you saw from it is when I looked at putting, and it's not to say that putting wasn't a big impact, because it really is, like, that's why I looked at birdie or better percentage on easy scoring courses. But I didn't see a massive jump when it came to the dispersion of scoring. Like it's pretty flat across the board over an expectation level on other venues. So uh, off the tee was a little bit down. Approach metrics were about the same. The around the green took a 3% increase there, which is kind of why I weighed around the green a little bit more. And then putting was flat to what I would have as standard or what I would deem to be a standard venue. Uh, I think a lot of that comes into play where instead of, for me at least, instead of looking at Birdie or Better Percentage, I looked at Birdie or Better Percentage on strictly easy courses to try to find those golfers that are going to be able to take advantage of this setup. Because I think that's one of those things, like when you build a model enough times and you do it over and over again, you start figuring out that, like I said, all TPC properties are very similar to one another. So if we can start rolling this over uh, course by course, we start seeing that we have all like the same dispersion of scoring that comes into play. And uh, that's just one of my like outlier ways to get different on my model while still building it in a very straightforward sense.
0: I like the TPC angle. I think I've got a guess as to who you might have included in some of your bets. If you have that, uh, his nickname might be TPC Lee, but <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, as a reminder, the links and locks podcast is proudly presented by bet three, six, five, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game or tournament and get $200 free. So without further ado, Spencer, let's get into some of our best bets for this week. What are you getting us started with?
1: Let me very quickly tell a story since you brought up this TPC Lee thing. And uh, mm-hmm. I wish Nick was on the show to have this conversation. So uh, when we were filming our show together, A Better Golf Pod, he brought it up. And this is before anybody in the industry had realized that K.H. Lee was good on TPC courses. He mentioned that his model had found something. And this is like before he had won the tournament on a TPC course. This is before like some of his big results that Mm -hmm. his model had seen something on it that like for whatever reason, my model didn't have that. Like I give him full credit for it that KH Lee would be suited for TPC venues. And, you know, he goes out, he wins the tournament and all of a sudden like the moniker sticks of TPC Lee after that. So you hear TPC Lee going out there in the space, full credit to our co-host of this show, Nick Brettwish for hitting on that one. But let me give you a play this week. So, you know, I want to go to the head to head market for my favorite bet. And I don't think this is necessarily the best board I've ever seen before. So, Let's talk about a couple of players. I'd love to get your stance on some of these guys also. None of these are going to be my official play, but I just want to mention some players that I thought were at least worthy of a fade candidate. I know from talking off air that one of these guys is a player that you might want to be taking on in a different market, and I'll let you talk about that. But the first one was Max Homa. My model just did not like him from a value perspective. Uh, I've been on record before that I typically need more significant edges when I jump to the top of the board to find a matchup. A player like Aaron Wise plus 105 over Homa was a slight edge of purely number grabbing. I thought Wise should have been the favorite in that matchup, Uh, but we're talking about a minimal difference there. Emiliano Grillo and Tom Hoagie were both overrated in my model. I didn't necessarily find opponents I loved against them, but it's something to keep an eye on. I noticed sharp markets love Maverick McNeely plus 100 over Taylor Moore. Uh, that's not a price that I necessarily could get to. Now, I do think plus 100 was a value just because I do have McNeely as a slight favorite also. Uh, Just wanted to throw that one out there because sharp movement means something. I very highly considered Mark Hubbard minus 110 over Matthew Neesmith. That was the closest one that didn't end up making the card. I talked to Nick off air about that, and he made a good point about Smith constantly entering this event with poor form, but still finding a way to compete. But uh, with all of that being said, my official play this week will be Wyndham Clark plus 100 over Nick Taylor. I do want to preface this by saying there's a chance that this bet goes miscut, miscut. You know, I like that Clark becomes less of a liability when I run my data for safety, although he still grades as a small negative value in how I distributed my data there. And for anyone who followed my content last week, uh, and that's through Action Network and any other site that I provide for, I gave 11 head-to-head plays in total. Um, not all of those plays obviously made my official card if I only went five and one in those plays, but nine and two through those s- selections... Ironically, as I alluded to previously, those two losses came by fading Nick Taylor. Uh, if nothing else, you can say I stick to my guns through thick and thin in these situations. But I just think and my model believes Taylor is one of, if not the most overrated golfers in this field. Yes, the stats looked good at the Sanderson Farms when you take the complete collection of the data. Um But a lot of that is showing because of spikes in the information. And so one of the things I mean by that is if we remove the 2.4 shots he gained in round one with his irons, we can let him keep the off the T metrics that he gained on that day. He can keep all the metrics that he gained in other areas. Also, I realize that's nitpicking it a little bit to remove like the one day that he really spiked the data. All of a sudden he goes to a player that lost a half stroke in ball striking over four rounds that's something I'd be willing to overlook on other players in this field, but for a golfer that ranks 90th in my model for total driving and then 78th in weighted proximity, I'm not sure the form is as good as the numbers actually suggest. And that's what I'm trying to find is these overcorrections to the market where, you know, a sports book in general is thinking that Taylor is a golfer that has two top twenties in a row. And last week was a tournament that he was really competing at. I'm not sure that's the case. I think it was really sprung on by a short game and a, a Thursday explosion that he had with the irons. And if you remove that, there's miscut potential to be found here. And as I said, I don't know that Wyndham Clark is the safest person to do it with, which is why it's not like my favorite head-to-head bet you'll ever hear me talk about, but I thought minus minus one thirty should have been the proper price for that. So i mean, that's a 30 point value based off of that.
0: I like the edge you got there with the 30 point edge. I also think this is a nice sell high spot for Nick Taylor. He's not someone that's going to wow you off the tee. He's, not very long. He's actually below average on tour and everything else. He's really average. There's nothing yes, really yeah. exciting about him. Um, he's not terrible. He doesn't have a huge weakness in his game either. Um, and around the green is one of his strengths. So I think that you said you got a three percentage boost on your model on uh, around the green this week. So that might help, but it's not going to help you go super low. I wouldn't think uh, when you're hitting 72% of the greens out here, I like Wyndham Clark. He's long, He's normally pretty good with the putter. Uh, he's got some upside, but I would think that on a course like this, he'd have a relatively higher floor. So I like the pick. I'm not, I don't feel about it as strongly as you do, but I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more and I potentially will back you on this one. Uh, Let me just really only come around. Nick Taylor can only do this for so long. He's got these two top 20s. That's not who he is.
1: I, I agree with that. And just like to just give you reference sake on my model, because I'm not necessarily like so bullish on Wyndham Clark either. So he's 54th for me overall. He does move to 45th for safety. Maybe that's for some of the reasons that you said the putter is good. Uh, The distance is going to be something that we can look at. But uh, Nick Taylor for me is a golfer, 87th overall, 98th for upside, 82nd for safety. So while he does get a little bit of boost when it comes to around the green, and like if we look at his last 24 rounds, he's 19th in my model there. He's 49th when I run it from a two-year running perspective. I just don't think he can retain this form of his. And if he's not retaining the form in that regard, all of a sudden we do have problems with the skill set that he brings for all the reasons that both of us have talked about this week. So uh, yes, you have to hit greens and regulation here to find success and to score. So if he's relying on that around the green game to fix errors, I think at some point like that ends up compounding on itself. And then you see mistakes that he's making that other golfers are not making. And, and that's not to say that Wyndham Clark is the safest commodity in this field. He's far from that, but Uh, he is a golfer that at least gets a positive boost in safety. And that was like good enough for me to punch the ticket along with the 30 points of value. Like I'm not going to turn down 30 points of value there.
0: And another thing is course history, which we haven't gotten into yet with Taylor here in his eight tournaments here at the Shriners, he's gained strokes on approach in just two of them. And on the greens, he's gained strokes in six of them. Uh, he has zero finishes inside the top 24 in eight tries. So is the nighttime going to be the one where he gets really high up there and ruins your uh, matchup bet. I think we got a little bit of leeway with uh, Wyndham Clark and I think he's got the higher upside as well. So I like that pick with my best bet. I'm going to take a bet that uh, Nick also had because uh, we were thinking alike like this week. And that is Taylor Pendrith 50 to one to win the tournament. Um, he's a high upside guy. Uh, we know he's long third in driving distance on the tour last year, 41st in strokes gained off the tee. Um, he's also someone who can capitalize on birdie opportunities. He finished 18th in proximity on approaches from 75 to hundred yards last year. Um, and the approach numbers overall for the season weren't great, but that's because he started really poorly. Uh, overall, he lost a fifth of a stroke on approach. Uh, however he over the last 25 rounds averaged over a half stroke gained on approach. So trending in the right direction, Yes, in the one tournament he had in this uh, PJ Tour season, he finished tied for 67th at the Fortinet. Consider that a little bit of a look-ahead week before the President's Cup. Coming out of the President's Cup, he's a guy who I think will have that boost of confidence. Um, and in a relatively weaker field where I don't want to back the guys at the top of the uh, odds board just because I'm not betting anybody shorter than 21 on, on this course this week, um, Pendrith is a guy who I thought Should have been around 25, 30 to one, and he's at 50 to one. And so this is a little buy low spot that I like. And I think he's got a really good chance of winning this week without a lot of studs in the field outside of Cantley, M and Homa at the top.
1: I had him properly priced at 40 to one. I highly considered adding him to my card. And one of the reasons why I didn't is because I did jump relatively high up on the board with one of the outrights that I took, um, which we can get into a little bit later in this show. But when you do something like that, all of a sudden the exposure of the card, and, and I alluded to this last weekend, I'll probably allude to it a million more times moving forward on this show, but you know, all of us, and I would say all three of us on this show, we're very conservative in the outright market compared to most people. Now, I don't know if you would agree with this, Roberto. I would say I'm probably the most aggressive in the stance of like, I'm willing to have more exposure on my pre-event card in the outright market. I don't know if you would agree with that or not.
0: I don't know that I'd agree or disagree. Um, A lot of times my betting style is I want to bet on guys who I think just have great value at the beginning of the tournament before the tournament starts um, and not necessarily need those guys to win. Whereas I know you with Mark Hubbard after the 54 hole lead, you're waiting and you're letting him play it out. Whereas if I have a hundred to one ticket on someone to win a tournament and we're going into the last round, I'm going to figure out who the guys are who I think have the best chance of taking the tournament from him, and I'm going to bet on those other guys. I'm going to make some money that week um, if I have someone <laughs> in contention like that, uh, which is why Davis Riley taking the first round lead, uh, which we both had him, and then just kind of fizzling out after that, he said he had one of the worst driving weeks of his life uh, was kind of frustrating. But uh, yeah, so I think it just depends. Obviously, I can't watch as much during the fall swing right now with there being less tournament coverage. Uh, which is frustrating. So that means I'm paring down my bets a little bit. But yeah, I think it depends on a little, bit of a week-to-week basis. Uh, But I like getting aggressive when we pick our spots.
1: I think that's a fair way that you broke that down. Like I'm more inclined, and I don't know Nick's answer to this, and I I should know the answer. Um, I'm more inclined to... I shouldn't even say I'm more inclined. Like if I have a ticket on a player and I'm putting in at any point, like I'm letting it roll throughout the entire contest. Like I'm not looking for spots to hedge back in. Uh, That's just my betting mentality on it. Like I never want to be so overexposed to a wager that like I find myself in a position. And I think that's like a really good thought process. Like if we're just having a conversation about this for everybody listening, Mm -hmm. a lot of times when people, in my opinion, put a wager on somebody and, it doesn't matter. I mean, I use units when I talk about things because units are easily uh, transferable. Like when you're talking about, like if I'm saying this is, you know, one or 0.1 units for me that I'm putting on an outright wager, like that's really easy for somebody to figure out what's a 10th of a unit for them. And that's one of the reasons why I do that. But I think a lot of times when people find themselves hedging out of positions, they usually have too much money from what their bankroll is able to withstand uh, if the bet loses. So, like, I'm very comfortable with the amount that I'm putting in. And for me, like, from a pre tournament perspective, I usually don't go more than a unit. It doesn't mean that I get up to a unit. I am at a unit this week. Uh, but it's one of those situations where, like, I think last week I was 0.86 units. The week before that, I might have been a half unit before the tournament. And I'm going to try to find the value on that. And I think that's where we're both saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we will take our value where we see it and be more or less aggressive based off of that. I don't like these flat builds where I need one unit in action on outright bets before the tournament. Maybe there is not a unit to be had based off of that. But um, yeah, I'm very comfortable with the amount of the units that I'm laying out. And I am making a lot of head to head wagers throughout the week that that's going to be a lot of my exposure at the end of the day that I kind of just sit on these bets and You know, for me to have a unit in play as it is right now on an outright card, it does limit what I'm able to do once the tournament begins. And that's just something to keep in mind. It doesn't mean that if something is so striking in value that I can't still make a bet on it, but I do need to be more cognizant moving forward that I can't get stuck in this range where it's like, all right, I have a unit before then I'm going to add a unit later. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you've lost two and a half units. And it's like, oh my God, that's not how I wanted to build this card. So uh, that would be like, I guess my kind of, broad answer of that situation there. But uh, the, going back to what you said, just to give a very basic answer to it, I like the Pendrith ticket also. It's not something that I was able to get to. Uh, I added a couple guys instead based off of that. But I think Pendrith's game, especially if he's gotten some confidence from playing the President's Cup, like this is a really good course fit for him.
0: Absolutely. I think he's going to be a fun one. Looking over at Nick, he also had Taylor Pendrith to win. As we said, um, another outright for him, he had Seamus Power, whom we discussed briefly last week. Uh, Power was a guy who at the Sanderson Farms, the Chicken Championship, had a lot of birdies. But in the first round, he had two bogeys. And in the second, third, and fourth rounds, he had at least three bogeys. And he also sprinkled in a double bogey as well. This week, as we know, it's in Vegas, not only Spencer's uh, town of residence, but also Seamus Power's. And I believe Seamus Power, either he or his coach, resides at TPC Summerlin. So he's very familiar with the course and he's someone whom I would expect wouldn't be making as many mistakes on the course this week as he did last week. So I like Seamus Power. Nick bet him at 66 to one. That's out there. And he also has Seamus Power at plus 120 for a top 40. I think I'm going to ride along with with Nick on Seamus Power top 40 plus 120. I wanted to back him in some form this week and I like getting plus money on him there at top 40. I think he's a guy who has a pretty high floor this week. And I think the upside's there as well. What are your thoughts on the power?
1: Well, uh, power was one of the guys that I know Nick and I were both on last week also. And, and as you said, there was just too many mistakes. And if, if we're saying that there was a construction, even if it's minor and they're not changing the contouring, you know, and it's going to be a lot of the same feel, I don't think it hurts for a player like Seamus power or Aaron wise, or any of these like local Vegas guys or UNLV products that are very accustomed to the weather here in the at TPC Summerlin. Like I don't think that that hurts, and it might help somebody like Seamus based off of what you're saying. He's 44th for me overall. He's 18th when it comes to upside. He's 71st for safety. That's kind of that trajectory where my model thinks that he has some outright value. Tim. It also thinks he has some combustibility. Now a lot of that combustibility that's coming into play is the form. Like I want that to be made clear that. It's not like my model's picking out and it's like oh well it think he's gonna, he thinks he's gonna blow up on this particular course it doesn't think that it thinks that this particular course when I run it for upside he's one of the top 20 values in the field what it worries about is the 30th at the Sanderson Farms wasn't a big enough boost when you look at the 65th at the BMW championship that didn't beat enough players the miscut at the Saint Jude the miscut at the open that week now that doesn't mean that like I don't like him and there's not a way that I can figure out the play it's just I don't know what that answer is. I considered him as a first round leader, but I know that's a funky market that like, I have had success at somehow, which Maybe is, we a, should have had
0: some success last week. If we had a bet rally for that.
1: Exactly. And it's kind of become some of those things with it, where, uh, unfortunately I didn't have that ticket and I had a first round leader card. It's just, he didn't make it onto it for whatever reason, which is probably a glaring error on my part because my numbers love him from an upside perspective with it. But I don't know. Like, I feel like he's a guy where the upsides there, the safety is kind of all over the place. You know, if he came in eighth place, I wouldn't be shocked. And if he fizzled out over the weekend, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise to me either. Um, I like him as a player. I like him from a statistical perspective. I do worry about the form after one good finish that like, he's all of a sudden back.
0: So you don't love the power, but Who else are we looking at um, in the outright market this week?
1: Uh, Let me say this about power. I like him better. I like him the best as an outright ticket. I I think that that's the best way to play him. I think that at least then like at 66 to one or whatever the price is Nick said he Mm -hmm. got on him, you're getting that upside that is clearly there for him. Like, I think that that's one of the things that people need to realize. And I, I believe I said it on the show last week too. You need to be more aggressive as a better on outrights. That means taking people and golfers that do have combustibility and volatility to them. Like Seamus power fits that mold perfectly. So I don't have a problem with him as an outright. And if I don't have a problem with him as an outright, it does mean that he theoretically could land the top 40 because he could give you one of those high end results. I just think that there is some ups and downs with him, but uh, my outright card this week, I took Aaron Wise at 25 to one. So I went to the near the top of the board on him. We talked about him last week on this show in our look ahead and pointed out how TPC Summerlin was his own course. Uh, unfortunately, that known comfortability had books post what many believe to probably be, I don't know, maybe an outrageous price on Wise in the market. But one, my model thought he should have been closer to 20 to one. And two, I like that books are showing their hand regarding the lack of exposure that they do want to take on on him. Uh, I expect shops to be quick to move in this situation. I think that as soon as they get wagers, he's going to probably push down to 20 to one, 18 to one. So, you know, I want to make it clear. It has nothing to do that. It's his home course from a stylistic sense. You could put this venue on Mars the way that it is. And I think he suits the venue perfectly. He ranks first in this field for my weighted par three calculation and weighted par three and par four scoring category. He's also fourth in weighted proximity to mimic TPC Summerlin. I grabbed Alex Noren at 50 to one. The proximity numbers are going to leave something to be desired, but there were only 10 golfers that graded as what my model deemed to be elite producers at TPC Properties and easy scoring courses. So that just molds those two stats together. That would be JT Poston, Alex Noren, Patrick Cantlay, Sungjae Im, KH Lee, Ryan Palmer, Andrew Putnam, Matt Kuchar, Seamus Power, which is where I do think that that upside comes in with play with him there, and Mark Hubbard. I'm going to go back to JT Poston at 65 to 1. As I just said, he's number one in my model there when merging those two things together. And uh, I think he, you know, I took him last week at 27 to 1. I don't think the performance was as bad as the perception around it. This feels a lot better. That's going to explain some of the movement. But I just think this is too large of an overcorrection, or at least my model believes this is too far of an overcorrection. Uh, my numbers continue to love how he's performed on these short par 4s and scoreable par 5s. Uh, We talked about KH Lee earlier. I'll I'll leave that to be. I took him at 70 to one. I think that that's a good value. Uh, I took Keith Mitchell at 70 to one. I think Mitchell has a lot of that same template or blueprint that we're looking at with Seamus Power here. And that's the reason why, like, there's only so many players I can take when I start with Aaron Wise. And this is a lot of names. It's a lot of guys that are at 70 to one or above, but like All of a sudden, like, I don't want to be much over a unit at this point. So somebody had to be cut. Sheamus ended up being the one that was cut for that reason. But like Mitchell to me is that same example. He's a player that has yet to make the cut at this tournament, but we know that the upside is there for what he is as a golfer. So uh, unfortunately, Sheamus was the reason that he got cut there. Mitchell took his spot. I'm going back to Mark Hubbard at 90 to one. I'm, I mean, can he go back to back and like having a chance to win? I don't know. I just think 90 to one that the number didn't move as much as it should have. And then I wrapped up my outright card with Andrew Putnam at 95 to one. Uh, You know, yeah, my model didn't love some of the negative trajectory totals. He experiences for upside, but it also had an 80 to one at being a fair price when we gave everyone their best performance possible, which as Roberto, both of us know, not everybody's going to have their best performance that they can have on this course. So when I ran this to where everybody was allowed some mistakes, the more accurate price to me was fifty-five to one, and you know you could make the argument that somebody's going to go off and somebody's going to get the twenty-four under, and maybe Putnam doesn't have the potential to do that. But I just think at ninety-five to one, it's a really good number. So uh, just to quickly recap that, it's Wise twenty-five, Noren fifty, Poston sixty-five, KH Lee, seventy, Mitchell seventy, Hubbard ninety, and Putnam ninety-five, and that's how I equated to having a unit in action before the event.
0: So among your outrights, I also have a play on Mark Hubbard. I sprinkled him at 90 to one. And I also liked him in the top 20 market at plus 270. Um, the approach game has been on fire. Second strokes to gain approach last week. And he's a guy who's a really good putter uh, who I think if the putter gets hot, he can have that upside to win. The, and last week's blown 54 hole lead, I think, is experience that's really valuable. I don't love backing guys the first time they're in that kind of spot. Uh, but once they've gotten that experience, it goes a long way and you see guys convert and they have that it factor after that. So I like that with Mark Hubbard among my other outrights, I also had, so this was one I wasn't planning to bet. Uh, it was one I wanted to bet, but I wasn't planning to bet based on the odds that were out there. It's Taylor Montgomery. And he was available from what I've seen between 25 to one and 33 to one. However, our friends at bet three, six, five have an odds boost on Taylor Montgomery to 40 to one. And I said, well, if he wins this week, I'm going to be kicking myself. I've got the biggest fear of missing out on him this week. And we know he finished third at the Fortinet, tied for ninth at the Sanderson Farms. Uh, The putter is hot. He gained over a stroke, uh, both at the Sanderson Farms and at the Fortinet. And we know he's long, born in Las Vegas. His dad uh, worked on a golf course in Las Vegas, and he went to UNLV running rebels are four and one on the football field this year. So everything's pointing in his direction. His biggest weakness is strokes gained around the green. So that's something to watch out for this week. But if he gets that together, I think he's a guy who has as high of upside as anyone outside of the top three guys on the board and maybe Aaron wise as well. Uh, so I really like Taylor Montgomery and because of the odds boost I'm in.
1: I'm going to give a shameless plug uh, to bet three, six, five. We'll continue this conversation. If you have access and you're able to get them, There is not a better book in this space when it comes to outright wagers. You get boosts from them. You get prices that are already at the top of the market, even without the boost. Uh, They are the premier book in this space when it comes to outright wagers. And I like that 40 to 1 number on Taylor Montgomery. And I really like that Hubbard price uh, that you got for him to come top 20. Like when we look at what Hubbard has done historically, he had back-to-back top four finishes just a couple events ago. Uh, obviously now he has back-to-back top 20 ones. He seems to put this form together when he does get going. And Mm. as you alluded to, like you don't like backing people when they haven't gotten into that position to win before. But like, if we're looking specifically at a top 20 bet and we both have an outright ticket on him, so we both believe he can win this tournament, but he doesn't necessarily need to win if you take him in the top 20 market. Like get one of those 13th place finishes and you're going to be very happy with the price that you got on him.
0: I'll say, I'd like to amend my statement. I'll say that- Depending on the number, I don't like to back guys, but at 90 to one after you've gotten a little experience, but I'd say over a hundred to one, if I think you've got a chance of being in contention, I'll sprinkle you if you have, if you have the upside. Um, And like I said, if you're in contention coming down to the back nine and it's you and maybe one or two other guys, I can sprinkle some of the other guys and make sure that I get some money that week at the very least, but really depends on the scenario. If you got seven guys in contention, like we did at like the ninth or 10th hole last week, it's not. The best spot to hedge out of it, so you got to know and pick your spots.
1: Everything's uh, value dependent at the end of the day.
0: Everything is. Did you have any other outrights, or are we good to move on to place
1: bets? Oh nope, that's it for me in the outright section. Like like as I said, uh, just really quickly: Pendrith, uh, Seamus, Coocher. Those were the three guys, maybe Chris Kirk to a lesser extent, Brian Harmon, like those, if we want to just like randomly just keep naming players that I didn't get on. Those were five players that I highly considered, but for one reason or another, didn't make the outright card.
0: And uh, we mentioned Nick's not here this week, obviously, but we mentioned that he did have Taylor Pendrith. He did have Seamus Power to win outright uh, at 50 and 66 to one. And then he also had Chris Kirk at 80 to one. Uh, Would you like to elaborate on why Chris Kirk just missed your card?
1: Well, the reason why Chris Kirk missed my card, comes down to, I call it choke equity. Like it's something that you can't exactly model into when you run the data. And yes, Chris Kirk has found success on tour before. I don't know what has happened to him over the past couple of seasons that every single time he gets himself into contention, he doesn't seem to be able to get over the hump with it. And so, um, Harmon and Kirk, and there's a couple other players, uh, I had first round leader bets on them because I do love their upside that they possess. I'm trying to take it on for one day rather than four days with it. But uh, the reason why I liked Chris Kirk, and he was one of the players I was at least considering very hard on it is he's 15th for me. When I run this from a win equity standpoint, that comes down to him being 11th and weighted T to green the around the green game places 13th. That's a category that all of us keep going back to. He's 12th in my model and strokes gain total over a two-year running sample size. He's 15th at easy courses. So uh, I think that's a really important one, because if we're saying that this is an easier course, maybe some of that blow up potential doesn't come into play for him this week. And he just makes birdies on those holes. Like if you look at the back nine of TPC Summerlin in general, there's only one hole of like the final six or seven. That's actually difficult. Like four or five of them are going to be the easiest holes that you get for the entire week. So maybe that ease can push somebody like Chris Kirk or a Brian Harmon or one of these guys into the winner's circle. But uh, like, as you said, with Seamus that you were trying to find a way to get exposure to them. I kept finding the same thing with Chris Kirk's and the Brian Harmon's and all these guys to so where I really wanted a way to back them. And I just couldn't quite figure out how to do it. So, you know, maybe you have a book out there that was more conducive to a matchup, or maybe there's a placement bet that, that makes sense. Like I think all of those guys, as you played Mark Hubbard, if we start moving this into like the top 20 section, I think that you're probably getting proper value to take a shot on them. But um, you know, it's hard to say that some of the guys I bet have win equity to them, but you got to pick and choose your spots. And for whatever reason, Chris Kirk was one of the players that missed my card for that reason. Like him as an upside player though. Like as far as what my model is saying statistically.
0: I like your explanation there. I like uh, how you broke down why you're backing some of those guys on the first round leader market instead of to win out. Right. Uh, one guy who I've been waffling on and off this week, I haven't placed any bets on him yet. Garrett Higgo to win outright. He was in contention last week, seemingly out of nowhere. This guy was down horrendous, not even bad this year on the PGA tour, but he won two years ago, um, in South Carolina, I believe. And he's a guy who can get hot. He comes in waves and he was in a trough the last year. He goes at hundred to one. He's someone I'm keeping my eye on because he was just horrendous on approach. And historically that's been his worst strokes gain metric. I want to see if he's going to have that form going forward this week. And maybe he's someone I'll back in an in-tournament matchup or potentially in one of the next tournaments in an outright market. Cause he's someone who we know has a pretty low floor, but he does have that high ceiling. Once he gets it going uh, last week, he did gain over a stroke on the greens, So I don't want to back him necessarily after just the hot putter, especially when you go from uh, Bermuda all the way to bent grass, but he's someone I'm keeping my eye on
1: another UNLV player. If we want to just keep, I didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah. So he'll have comfortability to the course. I would think like, you know, UNLV, like at least in relation to where TPC Summerlin is, is probably, I, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes away. So it's not like it's like right next to hit like the campus or anything, but when you're in Vegas for four years, you're playing all the venues. TPC Summerlin is one of the big ones. I'm sure he's played this uh, course countless times. I can't necessarily confirm that. I don't know where some of the collegiate, uh, you know, games were played on with it. So um, yeah, I don't know. If you're running a model, the long-term sample size for all the reasons that you just alluded to are going to look horrendous, but we at least know at his high-end potential, he's a golfer that can win on tour. And if he has found something over the course of the last couple of weeks, He's a player that might be able to put it together. And then all of a sudden you look in, I don't know, a month from now or two months from now. And it's like, wow, I can't believe Garrett Higgo was a hundred to one in the outright market. It could go the other way also. I mean, he could miss the Mm -hmm. cut and maybe this was just a flash in the pan situation where we thought he had something back, but I I don't mind taking chances on golfers like that to where my model doesn't necessarily like him, but like, I understand the thought process that you're coming up with to where we know that long-term historically being past like a two-year sample size, even I know he's like a, what is he 23 years old? So, I mean, we're going back to like the beginning of his career, but when, at least when he first came on tour, he was a golfer where you're like, wow, this is one of the hot young guns that might be able to make a real name for himself. And then for whatever reason, he fell flat on his face for the past season to where the stats are going to look bad, but uh, at least you're willing to take on some of that upside that he does possess.
0: Yeah. I think he's someone who's going to be really interesting to watch in this fall swing. Um, Going on somewhat of an opposite uh, trajectory from a guy with a low floor and a high ceiling, I want to look at Matthew Neesmith for top 20 at plus 300. Uh, You mentioned him earlier. He's someone who has finished in the top 20 each of his three starts here at TPC Summerlin, and he's the only person in the field who can boast that he's done that each of the last three years. He's never shot worse than a 69 on this golf course, and in every tournament that he's played here, all three, he shot a round of 65 or better. So I like that he's got that higher floor um, in theory. And you said that you were talking with Nick about Matthew Neesmith and how he had come into this tournament out of form and still performed well. But that's not the case this week because uh, he was third in strokes gained approach last week after finishing tied for ninth at the Sanderson Farms. Overall, if you look at his last year's season, um, 61st in strokes gained off the tee, 30th in strokes gained approach, those being the two most important from week to week. Uh, putting is the big weakness for him overall, but in his three times playing TPC Summerlin, he's gained strokes here in all three of his appearances, so maybe he's just a little bit more comfortable around the greens here. Um, golf's weird. You it can be bad at something uh, like putting on a lot of different courses, but if on a certain surface or a certain course, it suits your eye and it's repeatable, you can just keep it rolling. Um, so I like Smith for top 20 at plus 300. Probably not someone I'm going to back it to win outright, but I like his high floor. It seems like a horse for the course, Uh, and I'll be on him this week.
1: Yeah, like all the reasons that you allude to, and this is the best form uh, that he's had coming into one of these events and, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. I mean, like there was was a couple of those tournaments where he had gone like miscut, 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 and then all of a sudden he's giving you a top 20 finish, and that's the reason why I didn't end up taking Mark Hubbard against him. Like from a statistical perspective, my model likes Hubbard. It thought it was a good price against Neesmith, but – At some point, you kind of have to at least trust what a player is telling you from a results standpoint. For whatever reason, he really likes his venue, even if my model doesn't seem to think that it's, and it doesn't hate him. I mean, he's like, you know, a borderline top 50 golfer for me, and that's fine. Uh, Maybe from like a DFS perspective, I would be less inclined to play him just because I think he's going to be very popular. But I think this is one of the ways that you can get exposure to him. And, and probably the way that you did it would be more of the ideal way than any of the outcomes with it, just because you are taking on some of like, you're getting a better price. You're able to take on some of that potential that he's shown in the past to where, you know, if my model thinks that there's a chance, for whatever reason, the chance is that he doesn't perform, uh, at least like if you take the high end of it. I don't know if this answer necessarily makes sense the way that I'm trying to have it make sense, but. Like if you take the high end of the outcome, you're having less of an exposure at risk to do it. So you kind of want to take some bets. Like a Seamus Power would be a good example of that. I know we keep going back to Seamus, but you want to move Seamus up in the market, in my opinion. Like I like Seamus better as a top 30 or a top 20 than a top 40 for that reason, because I think that there is the volatility that comes into play. And uh, NieSmith, for whatever reason, has shown the safety to him even if my model doesn't think that. So uh, that's the reason why I got off of the head-to-head against him, though, because the results are too outstanding to ignore. At some point, you have to trust what is being told to you.
0: So, do you have any other place bets that you're looking at this week?
1: Yeah, I'll very quickly just rattle off three here. So uh, I took Andrew Putnam at plus 140. Uh, the current form for him is brilliant. He's provided six straight top 43 finishes, including five landing inside the top 30. Uh, Putnam ranks ninth in my model for TPC scoring over the past year and places 20th at easy scoring courses during the same duration. I just think it feels like one of those spots where the market is too slow to move. I took Alex Noren at minus 110, and this is not something I normally do where I lay juice in a top 40 wager. Uh, I I will say like I have had relatively solid track record when going this route. I think two players of the four that I've done this with, with have actually won the tournament. I have an outright on Alex Norton, as I alluded to. I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying it's going to be a win here, but the reason why I like him comes down to the safety grade, at least for this bet at minus 110. Uh, he is the only golfer that showed as a positive value that I thought was mispriced near the top of the board. You know, like there's a, a lot of players. Like when I try to condense it down, I looked at TPC totals. I looked at the Bermuda putting splits. Uh, the players that were deemed to be elite values for me there would be Cantley, Noren, Poston, Putnam, Bezadenhout, uh, Hubbard, Harmon, K.H. Lee, Seamus Power falls into that mix again, uh, Brendan Todd and Matt Kuchar. And then speaking of Matt Kuchar, he is my final top 40 bet this week at plus 120, 20th for my strokes gain total category over the uh, two-year running sample size that I used. He's also ninth in scrambling and sand safe percentage, sixth when running my data to look at only around the green totals. Uh, For what it's worth, I'm also going to take him to come 55th or better on Bet365 at minus 120. Uh, I'm I am two and zero so far taking those plays. We'll try to make it three and zero. It's a market that I continue to build my model for, and I kind of like the way that I've been doing it so far. So uh, a lot of the players have been to not make the total. This one is going to be to make the total. It's going to be Matt Coocher to come in 55th or better, Bet365.
0: And our partner Nick. Also likes that. He bet uh, Matt Kuchar top 40 uh, out there at plus 120. He also has Adam Hadwin as well, top 40 at plus 120. Uh, we mentioned Seamus Power. He has He's on him to win. He's also on him to finish top 20 also at plus 120. And then finally, we mentioned Chris Kirk. He has him to win outright, but he also has him top 40 at plus 135. Uh, not sure if I said Steven Yeager. Uh, also, Nick is on him at top 40 plus 175. So that wraps up our place bets. Did you have any other matchups that you hadn't mentioned, Spencer?
1: No, that's it for me right now. It's, it's going to probably be a light card overall. I'll add a lot more to it when we get into some of these like round one matchups. And, and I know I had alluded to last week, like there were a handful of guys that I was looking to take on. Um, there was not as many this week. Like, I mean, I can very quickly, if you give me a second, I can tell you who some of the overvalued commodities are on my model for anybody that's curious. Like it's going to be Nick Taylor. Harris English, which it does like him for upside. I don't know how much it likes him for safety. Uh, Cameron Champ, Stuart Sink. I mean, like there's not as many players this week that I'm actively looking to get matchups against. And none of those guys necessarily great as like, oh, I have to find a play against them. Like N- Nick Taylor was the one and that's the one play that I gave on here. So I'm kind of just going to let the market come to me this week. I'm going to try to find my value from an in-tournament perspective. If I can find any. And I mean, unless something sticks out in the market that I have not seen yet, Probably going to be a very minimal card, uh, for the most part.
0: One other market that we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast is betting on players to miss the cut. Personally, one of my favorite markets. Um, sadly, a lot of my favorite players to miss the cut uh have departed the PJ tour for the live golf tour. <laughs> yeah. So that really threw a wrench into my gambling last year, and I honestly still haven't recovered. So I've been looking at players uh, to miss the cut. Nobody really stands out to me this week. Um, Max Homa is just playing such great golf right now. Uh, Even though he has missed the cut the last four times he's played in this tournament, I don't think I want the smoke. But at plus 350, I was thinking about it. Is there anybody in particular whom you might think about placing a wager on to miss the cut this week?
1: I'm probably not. Like I, I tend to agree with you that Max Homa's value is kind of nice now. Miscut in 2020, miscut in 2019, miscut in 2018. That's not the player that he is currently. We now know that he's one of the best players in the world and he has the form to prove it. So, you know, I think from like, if you're just purely number grabbing a situation, I don't hate the Max Homa ticket, but like when I try to run this and I look at the players, um, you know, Max Homa is lower on my model for all the reasons I alluded to previously. Like he's right around like 20th when it comes for safety, that's taking into account those miscuts and, Uh, That's just going to just naturally push him down. My model doesn't like Emiliano Grillo. It also doesn't think he's going to miss the cut though. So like, I don't necessarily want to go there. Um, Of anybody that's, I mean, let's say, let's say like 60 to one or more likely to win than that. There's just not a golfer in my model that is deemed to be like, you know, over 50% to miss the cut. There are some players like, a Keith Mitchell, who I have an outright on, um, a Seamus Power, like those are more likely candidates to miss the cut, but mm. I'd rather just bet on the upside with them than to go that route.
0: Gotcha. And unfortunately, we can't get odds on everyone to miss the cut. There are players whom the books know yeah. have volatility whom we just can't bet. So, like Harris English would, would be someone I'd be interested in betting to miss the cut. Uh, so is Cameron Champ, some of the guys you mentioned as overvalued, but they're just not there in, in the markets can keep looking. Maybe they'll pop up, but it's unlikely, uh, which is why a lot of those um, live golf guys before they departed were big names and mainstays on the tour. They'd normally be listed in the markets. So unfortunate. We'll keep an eye on it. Hopefully we have a play on that for you guys next week. I love betting bets where like in football, where you get bet the under or you get the points because you're automatically in the money when the game starts and you got to do something right to make the cut. Normally 65, 70 and ties make it out of a field of 140 or 156. So you got to beat half the guys on the tour, and that's no easy feat, no matter which kind of field you're in every week. Uh, well, before we get into next week, uh, as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet one dollar on any game and get two hundred dollars free. Could come in handy with the NBA season starting just around the corner. Next week we go to. The Zozo Championship. Spencer, what are your initial thoughts on next week's tournament and any names you might be grabbing at Open on Monday?
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the course for a second. So uh, it's going to be, you know, a little bit over 7,000 yards, par 70, bent grass Green's. I would consider it to be a claustrophobic design. So what I mean by that is the fairways are of average width, but the venue as a whole emphasizes a substantial tree line nature where golfers will be required to move the ball in multiple directions because of the dog legs throughout the 18 holes. Uh, that's going to mean that accuracy takes the podium over distance next week. We don't always have that on tour and you probably get a general idea of that with this being a 71 or a sub 7100 yard course, I should say, but uh, length for the most part is going to be irrelevant. Uh, it's going to be a unique setup. We have five par threes, all measure below 200 yards. You, like there's going to be some that have birdie or better percentage to it that you're going to want to look for. The other ones are not going to be quite as easy. Uh, to it, The other notable point that I want to make, and I think you're going to hear this discussion a lot throughout the space, is that Japan has different construction with two greens per hole. Uh, they do this one for the summer, the other for the winter, but uh, golfers will need to be aware of it to avoid making any unnecessary mistakes. Uh, when I looked at my model last year, I ran it through Stroke Game Total on short par 70 courses. I, I looked at weighted par 3, weighted par 4s, weighted par 5s. Those are really standard. I looked at some bent grass. I have some of the proximity mixes, which we'll talk about more next week. There's sand safe percentages, as I said, total driving that's geared towards accuracy, but let me very quickly bring up my model uh, from last year and I'll run through some of these names just because maybe we can find a few players that are a little bit uh, maybe going to be underpriced in the market. So number one, and I don't know exactly who's in the field. And these are just names to keep in mind. I'm not saying all these players are going to play this tournament, but number one for me in my model last year was Colin Morikawa Number two was Xander Shoffley. Number three was Hideki Matsuyama. Four was Joaquin Neiman. I can tell you with 100% certainty, he's <laughs> not going to be playing in that tournament. But uh, just very quickly, five, Tommy Fleetwood. Six, Chris Kirk. Seven, Alex Noren. Uh, you had Eric Van Royen, KH Lee, Siwoo uh, Kim, Tom Hoagie, CT Pan. Those are at least players that were inside the top 15 for me. Uh, I know that's a lot of players I just mentioned there, but my model liked them last year. I mean, if there hasn't been a massive shift in how they're performing, those are at least players near like the top of the board that I'm going to be looking at to see what their prices are entering the week.
0: I like it. It should be a fun field. Hideki Matsuyama has confirmed that he will be back in the field to defend his championship. Would be a lot of fun if we got Xander Shoffley and Colin Murakawa in there as well. I will be very intrigued to see the number on Colin Murakawa. Thanks for tuning in. And hopefully if you get to watch the tournament on Thursday, either on PGA tour live or on the golf channel, maybe you'll see a wild Spencer Aguiar out there following someone out there on the golf course. It might be Jason day. Day. I'm shocked. We didn't get his name in here or any earlier uh, so far in the podcast. We may or may not have wagers on him. We just didn't want to admit it today. Uh, We'll keep an eye on him and thanks for tuning in Uh, as always. You can always, Find our golf content on the Action Network website and app, actionnetwork.com. Our best bets will be posted by the time you hear this podcast on Wednesday. Uh, So check that out. We got a lot of great analysis in there from a lot of really talented experts. You can also find the best bets episode of the Links and Locks podcast from Jason Sobel and PGA Tour's Ben Everill, where they'll play 18 holes and give their top plays for this week's tournament. And as always, you can find us on Twitter, Nick is at StyxPix. Spencer is at Tiaf Sports, And I am at RobertoA213 on Twitter. Uh, and as always, you can find us on the Action Network app. So thanks again for tuning in. This has been Links and Locks presented by Bet365. And we'll catch you next week.